Can I invite you to open your Bibles, please, if you have them, to Luke chapter 13, verses 22 to 35. We're continuing our study through the gospel of Luke, Luke's account of the life of Jesus Christ. Uh, as we do that, I want you to uh, take a note up at the uh, back screen behind me, if you notice it before the program cover came up. Uh, you know, it's a, picture of, uh, it's, a, it's, it's a picture of a group traveling to Jerusalem. Way up at the top on the far horizon, you'll notice the wall of Jerusalem. That, if you, it, you're so close, it's hard to see. But um, it's to remind us that we're in that section of Luke's gospel called the journey to Jerusalem. And I just want to say this, kudos to our worship team and staff, all those who put their hands on us. Because stuff like this, you know, doesn't just fall out of the sky. I mean, they plan it, they think about it, and they keep it fresh before us, really to enable us to, I think, helps us study, you know, keeps, keeps obstacles away and keeps our focus on, on what we're doing as we study God's Word. So kudos to our team. Last weekend, uh, Easter weekend, Bill took us through verses 18 to 21, talking about the kingdom of God. Talked about it was unstoppable and pervasive. And if you were here, all I need to say to you is the tree is still growing and it will grow until Christ comes again. We're going to pick up the last part of chapter 13, and I'm going to have a start with, I'm going to have a start with a philosophical primer, if you will. Uh, I want to talk about, and I want to lay a foundation, uh, and talk about the most basic, foundational, fundamental, uh, philosophical uh, law of reason, if, if I can say it that way. All reasonable and rational thought, dialogue, communication, our very ability to go, this is true, this is not, it, it all rests upon this principle of uh, philosophy or principle of logic. It's called, among other things, it's called the law of non-contradiction. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it three different ways. You know, I, as I was thinking about this, this is not my strong suit by any means, the whole philosophical realm. But it, I thought, you know, well, if I can't explain it in a, in a way that's understandable, then, then we're missing something. So hopefully I can. Let me start here, okay? The, the, the law of non-contradiction says uh, something cannot be A and then not A at the same time in the same sense. Now, if, if you got that, I'm being serious, nod at me if you get that. Okay, let me say it, say it another way, okay? Something cannot be true and then not true at the same time and in the same way. <clears throat> now nod at me if you got that. M most everybody's getting that. Okay, let me, let, me, let me show it to you, okay, in, in an example. <clears throat> I'm going to take a statement. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm going to make a statement that's, uh, uh, I'm just going to make the statement and then you're going to respond to it. But here's the first statement. Lloyd, me, I, I am physically present right now in front of you. Now, would all of us say that's a true statement? I mean, this is not a trick question. I, we would say it's true. And it's, uh, you know, truth, by the way, think of it this way. Truth is that which correlates to reality. That's one way to think about truth. Truth describes what's real, reality. Uh, this is true. That's the first statement, okay? Let me make a second statement. Uh, Lloyd <clears throat> is not here in front of you physically present right now. That's the second statement. Now, is that statement true? See, no, that, 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 that statement's not true. It doesn't correspond to reality. And it violates the principle of non-contradiction. I cannot be here and not here at the same time and in the same way. Is that pretty obvious? 
Okay, now, now I'm being serious. Not at me if you go, okay, I get the law of non-contradiction. We get it? Now, here's what's interesting is it's not just true in the most obvious ludicrous examples. It's true all the time. It's always true. Now, I'm starting with this little primer on philosophy because Jesus is going to say some things in our text today that are so controversial, that are so hard to swallow, that from the moment he said them to this very day, people have sought refuge from what he said by throwing out the law of non-contradiction. Now, if you're slightly confused, if you'll hang with me in a moment, you will be deliriously confused on this. No, it, it will make, I think it will make sense when we see what Jesus said. And when we think about what people do with what Jesus has said. I, I don't want to speak in hyperbole, but just to say, I think this is, this is one of the hardest texts that we've come across in our study through the Gospel of Luke. It's it's some difficult words. And I want you to keep this in mind as we go through it. Jesus said in the Gospel of John, he said it's the truth that will set you free. So when we look at the truths Jesus says here, my prayer is that we will embrace the truths... In such a way that we would proclaim the truths with compassion and conviction. Because men and women, if we don't, uh, we don't set people free. Because only the truth sets us free. Now I'm going to teach the passage a little different than I might normally do it. I'm going to go a little piece at a time. So keep your Bible open and... Follow along as I go. I'm just going to make some comments, a few applications as we go through the passage. A little piece at a time. Start in verse 22. It says, And he, that's Jesus, was passing through from one city and village to another, teaching and proceeding on his way to Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? Let's stop right there. This question launches into a massive answer that, that Jesus gives. But let's just stop and go, that's a great question. And, and we don't need to read anything into it. It's exactly what it is. He says, are, are there just a few people being saved? What does he mean by saved? Are just a few people, what's the whole context of this, this book and the passages? Are, 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 are just a few people getting in the kingdom of God? Let's say it in a way that we talk about it more in our Western language. Are only a few people going to heaven? That was the question. Now, Jesus could answer this a number of ways. Yes. No. But look how he answers it in verse 23. Someone said to him, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. Stop there. It's interesting. Are there just a few being saved? Not a yes, not a no. Strive, and by the way, an individual asks the question, but then Jesus speaks to what? Them. You ask the question, here's my answer to you and everybody listening to me. Strive to enter through the narrow door. What's Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, 
The real questions not are a few being saved. What really matters is, are you? He just turns and, are you? And, and by way of application, if I can say this, Jesus shows us here that, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you, theological theories, doctrinal, you know, thoughts and philosophy and waxing and waning, Jesus will have none of it. Because Jesus is not going to allow what really matters to be usurped by a question or, or how many angels can get on the head of a needle. He's not going to do it. He's going to turn, he's going to, are you in? Are you saved? That's the question. Well, he goes on, verse 24, I'm going to read it again and, 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 and go down a little bit further. Verse 24, strive to enter through the narrow door for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and not be able. Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open up to us. Then he will answer and say to you, I do not know where you are from. I, I do not know where you are from. The, the, the thought there is you're, you're not part of my family. When, when Jesus says this, uh, strive, uh, is he saying here that, you know, that, that we work to get into heaven? Uh, we, we've got to be careful here because uh, it can sound like, you know, our efforts save us. Men and women, our efforts don't save us. Uh, but there is a, a striving, if you will, in salvation. And if we stay in the context, it's the striving of repentance. You know, the, the, the flesh doesn't go easily away. You know, the whole context was divine judgment is coming. You need to repent. There, there's a striving to repentance, to putting away pride. To being honest in front of others, etc. There's a striving to that. You know, the text is so somber, sober. And again, getting back to this, it's not about theory. It's about real life. Uh, I'm going to go there. And I'm going to do this. Uh, I'm gonna have, in, in, in a moment, I'm going to have anyone in the room or in the arcade who is not 100% sure that you're in. I'm going to have you stand. Now, everyone else is going to remain seated. And I want you to stand because otherwise I don't know who you are and I'm not going to be able to address that with you. And so, I'm not trying to put you on the spot. Again, I'm saying the text. I'm not trying to embarrass you. Uh, I'm not trying to call you out. None of that, okay? It's because what's at stake? What is at stake here? Eternity. Now, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to have you stand. But I, I'll say this. If when I said I was, you started having a conversation in your mind like this. Oh, my gosh. I don't... Mm. I've been going to church here for four years. And for me to stand up... Now, I'm going to tell you something. And I know we're giggling, but someone's thinking this. I've been going to church here for, I mean, I'm teaching the Learning Center. You see, what you experienced was the agony, agonatsai, the agony of repentance. Your flesh is going, that's embarrassing. 
You see that? Strive to enter the near. You got to strive to repent. It's not a work that makes you right with God. But I'm going to tell you, you don't go easy and the flesh keeps fighting and pride says, that's crazy, don't do that. And the gospel, Jesus says, strive to enter. Well, he says, there will be a time in taking us forward when the head of the house shuts the door. When he says, many will seek and not be able to get in. I want you to understand, you know, we ask this question. Is, that, is Jesus saying there are people today who are trying to get into heaven and can't? Is that what he's saying? No, that's not what he's saying. Pay attention to the, you know, if we took the whole of the Bible, we know that's not it at all. The, the gospel invitation is to all. And all who will, you know, you know if you'll believe, you're in. And in the text itself, we've got to take the tenses, strive, and then they will be trying, will seek. Strive is the present tense. If right now, the door's open. Repent to come through the door. Now, there is a future, that's future tense, will seek. See, that's future. There's a future when you can't come through the door. So it's not people who want to be saved can't be saved right now. That's not it at all. Because verse 25 goes on to say, when the owner of the house shuts the door. So there's a future when God will shut the door. And then when he shuts the door, you can't get in. And the door won't open. Let's be very specific. When is that, Lloyd? Well, it's when Jesus comes back. (laughs) When Jesus comes back in glory, it's too late. When he's there, it's over. The door's closed. He's back. There's a second point when that is, when you die. (laughs) When you die, the, the, the door, when you die, the door is closed. That's what he's talking about. Three things this tells us. Number one, the door, men and women, the door will be closed. This is, this is sad here, tragic in a sense. People at that moment will want to get in. Do you notice the text? We want in now. See, they want to get in. And the third is God will say, I don't know where you're from. And what he's saying is, you're not part of the family. I don't, you're not a part of me. This is, we're getting, you know, we're talking about truths here. So let me say what's true. Everyone will not get into heaven. That's the truth. Law of non-contradiction. Let's go there. Clearly in the passage, everyone, the truth is everyone doesn't get into heaven. No, everyone gets in in the end. The law of non-contradiction. One can be right and wrong. Maybe this one's right and this one's wrong. Or both of them are wrong. But if this is true, that, that can't be true. And we often go and... And I, and, and I, I really, I do kind of hear this. I, I, you know, within evangelicalism on a broadest scale and... I think, I think even within a church our size, you can kind of begin to get these thoughts. Well, okay, okay, okay. Joseph Coney is not in. Hitler is not in. Child pornographers are not in. I mean, come on, they're not in. But, I mean, it, well, let's see what the text says. Who doesn't get in? Just the bad guys? Who, who doesn't get in? Let's look at it. Verse 26. Then you will begin... To say, we ate and drank in your presence. You taught in our streets. And he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you're from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. 
Eating and drinking, it's a biblical picture of fellowship. You hung out together, that's, that's what that's saying. You, we, we, we enjoyed time together. Uh, you taught in our streets. By the way, go back to verse 22. What, how did the whole section begin? Jesus was passing through the cities doing what? Teaching in the street. So Jesus is literally looking at the very people. He's, he's looking at people he's talking to and he's going, I'm doing exactly what I'm doing right now, but you're not going to be in. This is sobering. The answer to the question is, who does not get in? Can I, can I put it this way? People like me and you. People like me and you don't get in. Why am I saying that? Because proximity to Jesus is not enough. It's not enough to know Bible verses. not enough to share a meal with Jesus, so to speak. The issue is, are you in a relationship with Christ that only comes by repentance and trust? Are you identified with Jesus to such an extent you go, I know Jesus, and here's the kicker, and he knows me. He's not going to look at me and go, I don't know you. (laughs) Where do we get to that point? Belief, trust in Christ. It's really strong language, isn't it? He He says, you know, those who don't go through the door while it's open... He says, you're evildoers. He's quoting Psalm 6.8. David in Psalm 6.8 says, get away from me, those of you who do evil, do iniquity. Who are the ones David's talking to? He's talking to those people who do not bow to his kingship, who say, we're not making you king, you're not king. The you know, problem is, God said David was king. So now along comes one greater than David, of whom David was just a faint picture And those who don't bow the knee to King Jesus, is it too strong to say they're evil? No, it's not. It's true. It's just true. To not bow the knee to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I'm going to read this. I wrote it out. I want you to just kind of listen to it as I read it. In principle. Can I say it this way? You can think that you're in and not be in. You can act like you're in and not be in. You can do things that people who are in do and you yourself not be in. See, other people can look at you and think you're in and you're not in. You can hang out with people who are in and in the end find yourself you're not in. This is, going to sound, this is going to sound harsh. It may be insensitive, but I'm going to say it because I hope I say it in a way that's not harsh and sensitive, but true. Everyone who considers Fellowship Bible Church their home church is not in. And isn't going to be in, in the end. So I'm going to say this. I've said it three times. This is the third time I've said it. I'll say it again in the next service. I'm looking into some faces who are not in and who aren't going to be in. And I'm not, you go, well, Lloyd, you don't know people's hearts. I know I don't. I'm just stepping back and I'm going that that Jesus makes very clear that within the church, even the local, the community of faith, and a church our size, quite frankly, there are, there are people, there are people looking at me right now who you think you're in, but you're not. 
And there are people looking at me right now, I believe this, who are not in and you know you're not in and you're putting it off. I don't know, but you're not in and you know you're not in. You're going to walk out of this building and you're going to see people, you're sitting next to people who think they're in and they're not in. And if that creates a tremendous amount of angst in you, then, then I go, you need to make sure you're in. You need to call somebody. You need to talk to somebody. I, I mentioned, I didn't say this in the first service and someone mentioned to me, man, you're, there are a bunch of people out there that are just going to be scrambling in their brains. And, and quite frankly, I'm, I'm saying this to say, you know, you need to ask someone. I didn't even say that in the first two times because quite frankly, I just want you to sit there and let your brain scramble until you've got, by the Spirit and the wooing of God, you step up and you go ask somebody. I'm not sure. I don't want to let you off in that, I, I, but I, I want you in. I believe the Spirit will lead you in that way. But you need to ask. It's true. And then there's more. Watch in verse 28. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And all the prophets in the kingdom of God. But you yourselves being thrown out. And they will come from the east and from the west. And the west and from the north and south. And will recline at the table. In the kingdom of God. And behold some are last who will be first. And some are first who will be last. Men and women, Jesus is talking right there about hell. He's talking about hell. Uh, it, it, he describes in the, other, in the other gospels. Again, he's going back and he'll use these phrases, weeping and gnashing of teeth. I want you to note, first of all, he's talking about a place. This is not a metaphor. This is a place. And it's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Weeping is a, it's a picture of emotional turmoil. Emotional gnashing of teeth is not grinding your teeth when you sleep. Gnashing of teeth is a picture of physical pain and angst. So hell is a place of emotional torment and physical pain. The patriarchs, you see, and he describes it, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, those of the covenant and the prophets who proclaim the kingdom, they'll be, they'll be in heaven, they'll be in the kingdom. He, he says some interesting things. He says, and they, who's the they will come from the north, south, east, and west? Well, if you're not Jewish, you're the they. That's me and you. Uh, he, he speaks in the passage of reclining at the table. In other words, those who aren't in will see the others reclining at the table. Men and women, we have thoughts of heaven that I have thoughts of heaven that are totally unbiblical and I have these thoughts of heaven. But at, at, at its core, let's go to the Hebrew mind. When they thought of heaven, they, they had this thought, a banquet with God. It just doesn't get any better than that. I mean, that's the celebration. And that's what the picture, reclining at the table, it's a picture of, uh, you know, food in abundance, which is God's provision, and then God in our presence, it doesn't get any better than that. And so those who are out look in and see it and can't get in when the door has closed. Last will be first, first will be last. I know we always throw that out in different, you know, you stand in line at the bank and they go, oh, first will be last, last will be first, and things like that. Let me, let me just put it right, it's, it's not very difficult. It, he's speaking to a Jewish audience, and the Jews always consider themselves first. And in the history of redemption, please understand, they are. Jesus is, Jesus is Jewish. And, and, and the Messiah came through the Jews, they're first. Now, what they did though was they took that, we're first, and said, we're first and only. 
We're in because we're Abraham's seed. And you see what Jesus is saying to this primarily Jewish group is, is those of you who are Abraham's seed, you think you're first, you know, and then in a sense you are. You're privileged beyond belief. You think you're in, you're not. But from the four corners of the globe, the Gentiles, despicable, you know, Gentiles, they're in who believe. And that's what he's talking about here. The covenant was for the what? God said to Abraham, I'm going to bless the whole nation of Israel through you. What did he say? Bless the whole world. Here's what's true. I just, I just listed a few things out that are true here. Let me read them to you. Hell is a real place of emotional anguish and physical torment. People who don't get in before the door closes never get in. People who are in hell are aware of the blessings of heaven. The reason people are in hell is because they do not go through the door when it was open. Not because God won't open the door. You understand, understand this. Those who are in hell are in hell because they didn't go through the door when it was open. It's not, it's not that God won't let them in now. It's in the end, they, the door's closed. Hell is standing at a door you can't open and seeing what you wish for but can never have. Hell is consciously absorbing in your body the wrath, of Jesus, the wrath that Jesus absorbed on the cross forever. It's real. J.C. Ryle, uh, I'll quote from him, I'll quote him in another, in another moment, Ang, uh, Anglican bishop, wise, uh, 1800s, early 1900s, he said this, quote, Hell is nothing but the truth known too late. End quote. Now, in my heart, I don't know about you again, I just kind of tend to go, I kind of think these thoughts, I'm just going to say them, but you can kind of at times go, man, I mean, is that cruel and unusual punishment? And you step back. And we got to remember this. This, for those who choose not to bow to Christ, this is the most perfect, and just sentence and execution that could be. Because this is a just and holy verdict from a God who's the same today as he was yesterday and will be tomorrow, who's holy and pure and has no sin. This isn't Judge Judy kind of rendering a decision. This isn't even a decision based on reasonable doubt. This is the all-knowing God who says, this is just. I mean this, to think otherwise, I think, is to diminish the cross and the suffering of the Holy Son of God who bore the wrath of our sin. Well, you might say, God, this is hard. I mean, where, where's the compassion in this? Well, look with me at verses 30 to 35. I'm not going to spend as much time in these, but two things I want to see. Most importantly, I want you to see the context from which these words, these hard words come. Well, verse 31, just at that time, some Pharisees approached saying to him, go away, leave here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, go and tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow and the third day. I reach my, de- my goal. Nevertheless, I must journey on today and tomorrow and the next day, for it cannot be that a prophet would perish outside of Jerusalem. Jeru- oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that 
kills the prophets and stones those sent her. How, how often I wanted to gather your children together just as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. And you, note this, and you would not have it. Behold, your house is left to you desolate. And I say to you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, a, a few notes here. The, you know, the Pharisees come to Jesus and say, hey, Herod wants to kill you. By the way, if you kind of look at that and go, that's fishy. It is. Isn't that squirrely? I mean, they want to kill him. I, I don't know what to make of this totally, but they want to kill him. And then they're coming to him saying, hey, Herod wants to kill you. You need to get, get out. And then Jesus says this statement today and tomorrow and the third day. He says it twice. What, what, what's he saying? It's, it's, a, it's a Hebrew idiom. And it, it simply means this. I've got something to do in a short period of time. And by golly, I'm going to do it. <laughs> if I can say it that way. That's what he's saying. He, he, he's saying this. I don't care if the most powerful man in the world is out to get me. I got something to do. And I'm going to do it, quite frankly, in a short amount of time. <laughs> and he can't touch me until I'm done. Perfection is goal. Until it's perfected and done. Again, J.C. Ryle, uh, I, I love this quote. I think it's true. And he says it in a way that kind of puts it on us. Can, and I want to read it to you. Quote, I have what is good for me. I shall live on earth until my work is done and not a moment longer. I shall be taken when I'm ripe for heaven and not a minute before. All the powers of the world cannot take away my life until God permits. All the physicians of earth cannot preserve it when God calls me away. End quote. Uh, many of you uh, maybe knew David Foster. David founded Bellevue Community Church. The gathering was pastor there. A really great man, godly man. I knew David, not super well, but, but, but knew him. We had some interactions, and I was out of town when he passed away. And many of you know that. He died. He, I talked to someone last night. He died in his sleep, you know, right before Easter. I was at the, uh, the gym this week, and there were some people from the gathering, that church, that were talking. And they were talking about their Easter service because he died right before that. And, and we're saying, yeah, it was so good, and well, it was great. But boy, everybody fell apart when, when they started, started showing some videos of David. And, and, and I want you to know, I don't, I'm not saying this to be opportunistic or anything, or, or, or dishonoring in any way, but when they said that, I just want you to know, this thought hit me. Wow. They videotape me every time I teach. And so, you know, when I die, they could, they could show video. They're, it's being videoed right now, this service. It's always videoed. There are two clips then I'd want you to show up my funeral. One would be this. Me reading that quote. I want you to play that. Because I believe it's true. And here's the thing. It's true for you. If you've repented and bowed the knee to King Jesus. Immortal. Until Jesus says it's time to come home. I, I mean, think, you talk about a reason 
to have a bold, audacious faith to to proclaim the gospel in word and deed, that's it. There's a second clip, and I'll, I'll tell you what that one would be uh, in a minute. The thing I want us to see in this bookend is this. The hard words of verses 22 to 30, understand this, are coming from the one, the only one, who could open the door? Do we understand? See, only Jesus could open the door. And he did. And can I say this to you right now? It's open. Right now, it's open. And, and the one who opened it is the one who looks at me and you and says, Oh, I just want to put you under my wing. But you wouldn't have it. You know, there's, this is documented that there have been fires, you know, forest fires or, or, or farms or whatever that burn. And they've gone in afterwards and, and, and found the burned body. You know, you know where this is going. The burned body of a chicken, right? And li- this is true though. And, and lifted up the burned body of the hen and outrun the chicks. Remember the Wag Dodge story I told a few weeks ago? That's Jesus, you see. When you come to him, you're under him. He takes the flames. He dies. So that we don't have to. This is so important. The reality of the eternal and torment of hell must be understood in this context, right? This is the context. That Jesus offers the way out by enduring hell so we don't have to. See, the reality of hell, the the, the way to respond to the reality of hell is not to say there is no hell. That's wrong. That's a lie. That's not true. That doesn't give any life. Jesus says there is. And this is where we need to be willing to stand in the face of a culture that is, and this is a quote I've often heard, is drunk on tolerance. I think it's many times it has a Christless compassion, a denial of orthodoxy. Here's where it gets really tough, people. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. Beautiful. You're the way. You're the truth. You're the life. And then what does he say? And no one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus says, I'm the only way. Now follow me on this. Jesus claims exclusivity as the only way to God. So when Jesus says, I'm the only way, A. Non-A. There are other ways. No, there aren't. No, there aren't. No, there aren't. Law of non-contradiction. Jesus said, I'm the only way. It's, and I'm not trying to be silly, but to say, but to say Jesus is the only way. But you know, everybody does get in in the end. Other people, there are other religions. Do you see, understand what I'm saying? That's like me saying, Lloyd is physically present. Lloyd is not, and everybody agreed, that's ridiculous. Well, it's the same. It's the same. We don't want to take our brain and set it aside and go, oh no, but no, no, no. You've got to keep your brain in. 
you got to stay with the truth. I found most people have two primary objections to the exclusivity of the claims of Christ. The first one would be this. And, and y'all, I feel this. I want you as, as a teaching pastor, I, I think this at times. I go, oh. But people do this. I mean, what about people who are sincere? I mean, I, I, I know someone who's, who wouldn't hurt a flea. They're so genuine and so sincere. Now, they, they're you know, Muslim or they're Mormon. Or... Now, again, take your brain and put it back in. Stop for a minute. Not unconnected from your heart, but keep your brain in. Sincerity has never nor ever will determine what's true. It doesn't. It just doesn't. That's not mean. It's true. Everyone who's ever shot themselves accidentally by the gun sincerely believed it's unloaded. I'm being serious. They, no one shoots, no one does that accidentally thinking it's, I really believed it was unloaded. It wasn't. And your sincerity didn't change the bullet in the chamber. It can't. That's not real. The second thing we might say, you might say, well, Lloyd, I mean, come on. What about all the other religions? Who's to say that Christianity is right and they're wrong? I mean, come on. Answer, okay? Jesus Christ did not come saying, I've come to found a religion. I've come to start a movement. Jesus Christ came and said, I'm God. Jesus Christ then did things only God could do. Jesus Christ then died on a cross for our sins. He was buried and he did what no other religious founder, philosopher, I don't care who it is, did. He rose from the grave. He did it. And so when you say, you know, who are you to say that the others are wrong? Here's the answer. I'm not. Jesus said it. Jesus said it. And if Jesus was God, then what he said was true. And if Jesus was God and what he said was true, then he said, I'm the only way. Then I'm not trying to be mean on this. Men and women, there is no other way. I mean, we need to be able to stand up to a culture and say it. And let them, let them, you know, you're a bigot, you're narrow. No, you're, no, I'm not. And no, you're not. This is what's true. And there is a hell. And you go there if you don't repent and trust Christ. This is true and real. And the truth will set you free. But I'm not willing to set my brain aside and say things Jesus didn't say. And I pray, I pray that we would not be either. You see, I, I'm going with the guy who put his wing over me. Who took the wrath I deserved and you deserved. I'm going with him. Because he did die. But he also rose from the grave. I said there are two clips you can show. Okay, here's the second clip you can show at my funeral. And I was telling Lisa about this. Last night I got real emotional. And, and I'll probably get I'm emotional in this. And I'm not, I'll be honest with you. I'm not a, ask David Arms who's one of my best friends. I'm not a super compassionate person. I don't have a lot of mercy. and So I don't, but it, that's the truth. I do care, but here's the second clip. You look up on the side screens. That, those are, that's a David Arms painting. And um, David painted that at the end of the Gospel of John. He painted pictures all the way through John's Gospel. And this was the, the end, the last one. And, uh, wow, you know, as David does, amazing. 
It's very simple, but it says so much. All of his paintings are like that. And so, so what I want at my funeral is I want, I want those paintings. I want that up on the side. I don't know if I'll be here or not. You know, I don't know. But if I put those on the side screen and then, and then play this clip. I'm on the other side. I just want, I'm on the other side. And, the, and if you're listening, it means the door's open still. Come on. Come on. Come on. Repent. Believe. So what? I mean, what, what do we do with this? It's like a fire hydrant. You know, here's what you do. You sit for the next minute. And you just go, well, Spirit of God. What do I do with this? And you do whatever he says to do with it. Take a moment and do that.